All right, welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. It's 4.03 on this Friday afternoon, June 16th, 2006. In these days of rising religious extremism and attacks on women's self-determination, it would be instructive to look at where that can lead to if unchecked. The most dreadful and horrific example from history is the Inquisition. Leading feminist thinker Robin Morgan's historical novel, The Burning Time, looks at this pogrom's incursion into Ireland and constructs a narrative surrounding the real-life character, Lady Alice Keitler's fight against it and in defense of the old ways and the craft. Lessons for our contemporary world are in abundance. Robin is our special guest today as one of the founders of contemporary U.S. feminism. She has written several powerful, provocative, and insightful books, The Burning Time being the most recent. We'll have her in just a moment here. I'll first remind you that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here, or there, with you in spirit, at least. <laughs> yes, yes. I so enjoyed the book. It was very powerful, um, moving, uh, insightful. Uh, yeah, excellent job. Oh, Robert, you know how to make a girl's day. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I uh, fine-tuned it and toiled over it for quite a long time, and uh, so that's music to my ears. Yes, the the dialogue, the I I felt like I was there, and it, and it was uh, a lot of lot of emotions uh, going on because it uh, we're dealing with some very heavy uh, events and, well, and yeah, issues. The, the, the point is that I you know I wanted most of all for it to be um, just one real bloody good story. Uh, and so I've been very pleased when some of the reviews have said, you know, breathlessly, a page-turner, uh, horses and torches and, you know, ladies and lords. Um, I didn't want it to be didactic and, you know, preachy and, and where, where the politics sort of banged you on the head with a tambourine. Um, the, the, the politics, as you mentioned in your intro, are, are certainly there. And, and some of the quotes, Jane Fonda and her quote said um, that it was frighteningly uh, parallel to some things that are happening, you know, relevant today. Um, but, but my aim was for it to be precisely what you said, which is why you made my day, um, <laughs> that it be just a hell of a good story, that you want to know what happened next, that the characters be sympathetic and, and seem real, uh, including the villain, um, uh, because, you know, in real life you can sort of get away with one-dimensional villains, but in art you can't. In art they have to have their motivations and they have to be complex and interesting. Um, and obviously there are two major, um, there are three major characters: the 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 bishop and um, uh, and two women. And um, and yes, it's true. As a feminist, my sympathies are with the women. But it is also true that as a novelist, my sympathies are with all the characters. So so to balance the this, the adventure in the book um, uh, with the the complexity of the uh, the spiritual reality that people faced in the 14th century. Um, which is in some ways <laughs> deplorably reminiscent of today, um, was was precisely my aim, and then above all to make it a to make it a good story and make you laugh and make you cry. Yes, yes. the the um, The characters, as you said, are, are uh, <laughs> we're not these one dimensional cardboard cutouts, and we do have the the two main uh, 
people, the uh, Lady Alice Keitler, as the uh, defender of the old ways there in Ireland, and and the Bishop Ladred, who comes in, who is an agent of of the Inquisition. And, you know, your first thoughts, uh, at least from my perspective, is, oh, these horrible people of, of the Inquisition, and, and obviously they, they did horrible things, and he in, in the book does, but you get into his motivations, and there are some things that are about him that are, I guess, sympathetic, because he you see his sort of pain and suffering, and, no, exactly. and, and he's a victim as well, right. And, you know, this is based on um, historical fact. It's a historical novel with, the, with all the right costumes and the right food for 14th century Ireland. I mean, they didn't have potatoes there then, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomatoes came from the New World and potatoes. And, but, so I researched it to a fairly well. Um, but, but the actual uh, uh, trial, I mean, the actual characters it, are, are, are historically real, um, they uh, they come to us through Holland's Head, who was, uh, you know, I figured he was the sor- main source for Shakespeare, so who was I to turn my nose, nose <laughs> up at him? Um, and um, and there, in fact, the trial records from 1324 list um, the proceedings against Dame or Lady Alice Keitler uh, in County Kilkenny in Ireland, and and list um, uh, uh, 13 names. And so, but we don't have, except for, and I don't want to give away the plot, but except for what happened to three characters, we don't really know uh, many details about the rest of them. So, for for a novelist, this was perfect because if you know too much about a situation, you know, if there's too much data, you, the imagination can't you know, be free. <laughs> right. If you know absolutely nothing about it, uh, and there's nothing to be known, why then you can't very well, it's not a historical novel, it's a novel, but yeah, that's different, um, then you're making the whole thing up. But I took these 13 names, and and um, and they began to live with me. It's been a long time in the writing. My son was uh, eight years old, I think, when I first started doing this as a short story, this piece, and through 20-some-odd books in the interim, he's now, to my amazement, 36. So <laughs> quite a bit of time has elapsed. This 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 story haunted me. It just stayed with me. It was incredibly rich in possibilities and in complexity, and yet also in the simplicity of a really good rollicking tale. And it just wouldn't let me go. Um, and so I structured basically the the cast of characters, as it were, from those thirteen names, um, being. Uh, very uh, scrupulously loyal to the historical facts where we knew them, the few that we did know, doing a lot of research on everything from the costumes to the foods that they ate. A number of my um, friends have said, this is a book that makes me want to cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the feasts are so fun. Um, uh, but basically what, what the, the core of it is that um, uh, uh, during the, the, the Inquisition, you know, there were three Inquisitions, actually. We, we, we aren't taught this sort of thing in school. Um, but uh, starting in, in, in the 13th century, early, 1233, um, uh, Gregory the, the Ninth, the Pope then, established an Inquisition to investigate and combat heresy. And its original targets were the Albigensians and the Cathars and the Knights Templar and so forth. But it became known as the Medieval Inquisition because it expanded its mandate to include sorcery and witchcraft. Um, and by 1484, when Innocent III launched his war against Satan, 
Um, the medieval Inquisition was so well established, its power overruled local courts and all secular law throughout Europe. There were two other later Inquisitions, um, one of which became infamous for you know, condemning Galileo for saying, yeah. for saying that the earth moved around the sun. And then the last one was the Spanish Inquisition, which became notorious for its auto de fe's, and that was also in the 15th century. But back to the first one, um, the papacy, uh, by the time of, 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 of this novel, um, 1324, was in um, uh, France. Um, uh, it, it, it had reestablished itself in, in, in France. Um, there were rival popes around the place. And the, the, the Pope in, from France dispatched a very intellectual and brilliant and um, uh, tactically sophisticated bishop named Richard de la Dred, who was an Englishman, but who had been educated in, in, uh, on the continent, dispatched him to Ireland to, you know, in effect, bring the Irish to heel. The Irish, up to this point, despite the fact that the Inquisition was in full swing on the continent, the Irish had been, you know, pretty much left alone. They were doing their Irish thing, God, yeah. God or Goddess love them, <laughs> which was to worship a syncretic combination of the old religion, which was Wicca, um, witchcraft, the craft of the wise, um, uh, which was basically a nature religion and observed the seasons. I mean, they were, they were, in the real sense of the original meaning of the word pagan, which means peasant, or heathen, which means heath dweller, they were, they, you know, they were very old people, um, and they had been worshipping the old religion with both God, a god and a goddess um, for thousands of years. But when, when St. Patrick came in, they thought, oh, well, that's not, we'll add that in. <laughs> And in fact, when um, when uh, the church couldn't stop them from worshiping Bridget, who was one of the names of the goddess, yeah, um, the the church gave up and and named a saint after her. And then everybody was perfectly happy. It was a great Irish solution because the peasants could still worship Bridget, whether she was called saint or goddess, and the church was happy because they went to church. So that's the the basic initial setting. And then this bishop is dispatched to really bring them to heel. No more combination, no more loyalty to the old ways, and also, uh, in an economic and practical sense, land seizures, um, uh, money to be had, uh, taxes to be extracted, etc. So he arrived, um, and uh, fortunately or unfortunately, he picked the wrong um, target. Because most of the time, um, you know, the Inquisition targeted peasants, uh, women, um, if you were old, if you were um, widowed, if you had any knowledge of midwifery or herbs or, um, uh, you know, sort of basic healing, uh, or God forbid if you knew how to read and write, um, yeah. you were immediately suspicious. Um, so the peasants, you know, really couldn't fight back. But he picked as a target um, somebody who could. And did, and that was Lady Alice Keitler. She was landed gentry. She had, in fact, she had a lot of land, uh, the largest landholder at that point uh, in Ireland. She was educated. She could read and write and do numbers. Um, she had been married uh, four times, um, and she now was on her own, and she liked being on her own, and she had been teaching her peasants to read. She'd been establishing a whole little mini-revolution on her lands, and she fought back. Now, now that thing about teaching the peasants to read and and actually treating them in a, in a decent manner for the time and place in comparison to yeah. that that was outrageous. I it mean, was considered heresy. I mean, you know, because the Bible had said 
Um, and this is where strict interpretation of the Bible, this is where it begins to remind us a little bit about what's happening in some quarters today, because the Bible had said women should bring forth children in, um, you know, in pain, um, then anybody who helped a woman get through labor slightly more comfortably, like a midwife, was a heretic. Anyone who, with most of the gentry, you have to realize, couldn't read and write at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, uh, for a woman to do so, and then for her to teach her serfs to read and write, um, and to govern in, I wouldn't quite call it a democratic way, we, would, you know, we wouldn't recognize it as egalitarianism today, but, um, but for the time, you're absolutely right, it was considered so radical um, that she consulted her peasants over you know, what to sow in which field when, um, and, and she had a totally different relationship with her serfs. There still were heavy how shall we say, class differences, and I, and I d- didn't ever want to make her such a perfect, perfect, you know, um, uh, ideal creature that, that it would be unrealistic. Um, but she was, for her time and her place, a radical. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, it totally appeared that way to me, but then you do see, well, she couldn't totally escape the whole classism thing and no, had the problem not, with her son not. being, you know, uh, involved with uh, peasant uh, girls that he would, be considering for marriage, that was not going to happen. That was not going to happen. That's right. So you have some realism going down there. Um, but but the the uh, the interesting thing to me was the the creativity in this real life historical situation of a woman in the 14th century in Ireland standing up to the Inquisition. I have never discovered. I'm sure there are buried in history many cases of many courageous people who you know, stood up to the various three inquisitions. And by the way, over the entire span of what the Wiccans, um, the observers of the old religions, Wiccan means wise one, by the way, in Anglo-Saxon. Um, uh, and so what they uh, um, stood for um, uh, and, and, and what they called the burning time, the, 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 the whole span of the 600-year-plus span of the Inquisition, it is estimated by some scholars that as many as, brace yourself, nine million people were executed, burned, hanged, uh, tortured, uh, and killed. Um, the vast majority of them were women. There were, there were some entire towns in, in Europe, um, uh, most notably in Germany, which seemed to have, um, have a propensity for this, mm-hmm. where there were no women and girls left at all. This is, uh, you, you know, you've mentioned, you have some of these statistics in the uh, back of the book, and it's, it's, I don't know. There's really not words for it. It's so horrific. I mean, yeah. this truly what was a Holocaust in all senses it of was, the word. And it's a buried Holocaust. I mean, um, it. Uh, we we of course don't know. We, there's no way. You know, no records were kept of the uh, of the nine million. Um, but we do know. It, by the way, if 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 your listeners want the 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 full, we had to for space reasons print a much shorter version of the uh, author's note in the back of the book. But the extended version, the really full version of the author's note, together with a whole book list of books I researched this from, a bibliography, and the glossary and pronunciation list of the Irish and Celtic names, is on my website. And that simply is www.robinmorgan.us. Robin Morgan, all one word. But you're, 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 you're again, you're, you're right. It's absolutely horrific. I mean, we, we, again, although I say, as I say, we, we can't say for sure that it's nine million, when you begin to add things up, I mean, 
Um, in, in, in Geneva, 500 accused witches were executed in a single day. In Como, Italy, 1,000 were killed in one day. In Würzburg, Germany, 900. That was, you know, I mean, and, and as it's, this continues going on and on and on. The, 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 the last, um, uh, you know, witch trials were, um, ironically enough, the same year that George Washington held his first cabinet meeting. Yeah, I, I, I know it, it didn't. This uh, even in the Spanish Inquisition even got over into the New World. That's uh, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the, the the Salem witch trials were a different cup of tea entirely, um, because most of the accused in the Salem witch trials were um, were not practicing the old religion. They were devout Christians. But there there's three elements which I found very interesting, which you always find um, in in in. Um, these persecutions, which perse- one is the attempt by a, a conqueror's religion to colonize and demonize and, if, if possible, eradicate older indigenous belief systems. A second one is economic motive, since the accuser, dig this, profits by being awarded the accused's properties. Yeah. And the third is misogyny, fear and hatred of the female. Now, in, in Salem, you, you don't have um, the first element. It's, it's, it, you have the economic motive, because they did profit when they accused, and you certainly have misogyny. Um, but they weren't w- even worshipping the old religion. This was a whole other you know, cup of tea. In, in, um, in Europe, uh, however, it, it, it really was uh, uh, the, the colonizers' um, uh, attempt to, to de- demonize and eradicate the older indigenous belief systems, and with them, a sense of identity. Um, there were peasant uprisings, there were, you know, but I mean, it, not, not if you're terrified of being burned alive. And you also, this is, a, you know, this really got me. The trials for witchcraft were. A damned if you do, damned if you don't. For oh, example, yeah. a common um, way of trying a, a, an accused woman um, was to bind her with ropes um, and throw her into a river or the sea or something like that. And then, okay, how are we ready for this? If she sank and drowned, ah, she was innocent. Whoops, we're really sorry, but we know she's gone to heaven. If she happened to float, then she must be a witch, so you took her out and you burned her. Yeah, these kinds of things are, are, uh, yeah, it's insanity, and, you know, I see some parallels with what we're doing with quote-unquote terrorists who are not given a trial and all of this, and uh, that's kind of a tangent, uh, but uh, anyways... uh, It is, yeah. Yeah. But it's also the misuse of religion um, and and real people's genuine faith. Um, or not? What I mean, you know, I I, I am personally uh, well. I'm not going to go there, but I mean, uh, let's say somebody is a genuine believer that they they deserve respect for that, and and our constitution um, ensures that um, and ensures the separation of that from a secular government. But it's it's when religion is used and abused by. In, in this case, um, uh, uh, today, politicians, very cynically, or in the Middle Ages, by, you know, in effect, politicians, whether they were calling themselves kings or popes, I mean, they mm-hmm. were politicians, for power, for greed, for land grabs, um, and all in the name of religion, you know, um, uh, slaughter the Indians because you're bringing them, you know, the true God. That's when you begin to do dishonor not only to humanity but even to the idea of uh, of any genuine faith. 
Yes, uh, this is Out the Rabbit Hole on KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson speaking today with Robin Morgan. We're discussing her book, The Burning Time, that uh, ta- is, uh, takes place in Ireland in the, uh, what was the year again? Uh, the 14th century, it's 1324. 1324, when the Inquisition uh, tries to make its incursion into there and how uh, one courageous woman uh, takes a stand against them, Lady Alice Keitler. A wonderful, amazing book, very very uh, moving to read, and has so many uh, lessons for us that uh, can be applied to our situation today. Uh, this thing we're talking about, the, the Inquisition in general, and just how horrific it, it was, and, uh, and you mentioned the misogyny, and, and you just cannot separate that out from it. You mentioned that the majority of the victims were women, and there's this issue about uh, herbalism and midwifery that, again, yeah. this was mostly women who practiced that. That's right. And so there was, that was just verboten. And, uh, well, the, it, women were, the women were, as, as, as usual, the, care, the caretakers and caregivers of children, of the sick, of the elderly, of, of their husbands, of, you know. Uh, so they, they noticed. They noticed which herbs worked and which didn't. And some of them became stunningly proficient in that and known for miles around, and people would come to them. Um, uh, by the way, I, I, just as an aside, I, I don't mean, yes, we're talking about the Inquisition, but the papacy and the Catholic Church was not alone in these persecutions. In fact, <laughs> ideological and political battles were raging between the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation, and these battles literally fed the flames, so that there were newly minted Protestants, fresh from Luther, competing with the Catholics for the most extreme fundamentalist interpretation of the Bible, and making, you know, accusing women of making pacts with the devil, um, and that they should be burned and uh, put to death, you know, I mean, so that, that in, a, in a sense it was a bonding um, over this one issue and a competition. Who could kill the most um, women, particularly if they were at all learned, or at all rebellious, or if they had a mole, um, or if they had a freckle, um, or if they were in any possible way born disabled, um, or if, I mean, it just was amazing. It's just, it, 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 and that this has been sort of buried in our collective consciousness, um, uh, I think in some respect is connected to the way that we, we still regard women, if I'm making myself at all clear. Yeah, let's, I, 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 I'm trying to wrap my mind around, we, we're saying, the, this holocaust that occurred over hundreds of years and, yeah. and the misogyny was so much a part of it i mean and this went to a level of just complete insanity and can you maybe talk about you know what sort of drives that or how it gets to that and and you know then how we're where we're at today well, yeah it's it's a i think it's a and and it's this that has made people comment that the book is timely uh today i mean i think that they're you know a kind of um uh, holy self-righteousness kicks in um, uh, whenever anybody is confident, um, as some days George Bush seems, I must say, mm-hmm. that they alone are the transmitter of the direct, they've got a direct line to, you know, divinity, and it's telling them what to do. 
I always think, my goodness, haven't they seen pictures of the Crab Nebula and, you know, the Andromeda Galaxy and, mm-hmm. and stem cells and DNA and the wonder and the magic that science is showing us? I mean, do they really, do they think that God is speaking directly? Hey, George, I want you to invade Iraq. That, that is part of it. It becomes um, a holy self-righteousness that is, I think, almost uh, solipsistic. It's an enclosed universe, so it can't hear other people. They're mere mortals saying, hey, wait a minute, that's not such a good idea. And then it catches on with a sort of combination of fear among people of standing up against it, um, a, a combination of that and, uh, and a kind of willingness to follow strength for strength's sake, whether it's intelligence strength or not. And, there are, and it plays on sadism, this, this, this kind of thing. I mean, they're watching witch trials in the, in the, um, during the Inquisition, became literally a form of, uh, you know, common entertainment. I mean, people would gather with, with you know, picnics and, um, oh, which was being tried or, or burned, and they would just, you know, sit around and, and, and watch this. I mean, so um, y- y- you begin to see that something is at, at stake here that is larger even than their own self-interest. I might add that one of the reasons perhaps we're now discovering, research is now discovering, Perhaps the primary reason for the plague um, in Europe was because in in villages being, to use a term from today, ethnically cleansed of women and girls, they also killed all the cats. Mm-hmm. Cats were thought to be familiars, um, and in many cases they were pets and familiars of Wiccans who just happened to love animals. Um, but but you kill all the cats in an entire. Um, uh, six villages or twelve regions, and there's nothing. Nobody can catch the rats. And guess what? The plague comes. So even if it was not in their self-interest, and of course they hadn't made the scientific connection between you know rats and the plague, but you know when when by 1586 only two women were left alive in one entire Rhineland district. So, and entire convents, by the way, you, being a nun didn't get you uh, off because um, the whole convents were indicted and were sentenced because they were harboring rebellious, learned women. How dare they learn to read? And children were were suspect. Um, uh, you, there was a case that always just breaks my heart in 1754. A kid of age 13, Veronica Zarich was her name, in Germany, was forced to dance in the warm ashes of her executed mother and then was burned alive herself. Now that kind of sadism is a sickness that we usually associate with the National Socialist Party in Germany in the 30s, right? right? But it's been it's been with us before. So the um obviously this is Fear, feeding on fear, and building and building. And do you, do you think that there's something also about you? You mentioned the people sitting there and watching witch trials and tortures yes. and burnings as entertainment. Do you, do you think it has to do with uh, there's so much repression in so many ways that things just get twisted around in people's minds? I think that's part of it. I think I think fear is an is is an inestimably large motivator in terms of this. Um, it, it, it was, these, these kinds of horrors seem to happen um, on the cusp of change, and people are scared of change. I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing such a, an, an intense and, and mean-spirited religious re- revival um, in the United States today. 
Um, it's almost as if people, you know, new discoveries are made um, in science or whatever. The, the Age of Enlightenment was about to hap- break all over Europe, um, but there were already murmurings in different parts. You know, there was Galileo coming up and saying, hello, <laughs> you know, we're not the center of the universe. That was terrifying to people. That was, I mean, you know, the world was flat, and it was the center of the universe, and God had ordered everything, and the priest spoke for God, and what was your problem? Um, so to be told, to even glimpse that there is um, room for change, that one must be responsible for one's own ethics and morality and, and carrying oneself with honor and kindness, that empathy toward other people um, empathy is a very subversive emotion because if you really empathize with somebody, you can't burn them alive. You know, um, it, the more the more the folks at the top wanted to consolidate power, the more fear was spread. And you know, um, women were a powerless group, peasants were a powerless group to spread fear against. So you know, all you had to do was simply accuse, and it, just even like today, where where it's harder to disprove a smear. Um, than it than it is to make the smear because it gets into it moves into rumor and the next thing you know it's all over the internet and it's the Drudge Report and it's all these things. Um, uh, it's always hard to harder to undo damage than than to do it. Doing it is easy. It's simple. Gets you power. Gets you money. Gets you attention. Um, uh, gets you respect, even if it's in the form of fear, not real respect. And so I think those were the motives of the powerful. Um, and there also, this also was a time of fanaticism. Uh, and, and, and it was not a, it was not a great idea, um, to be a woman or a girl or, or a cat or men. Men were indeed, um, executed and tortured and, and imprisoned and executed, um, as, as, uh, as witches. But the vast majority, I mean, close to 97% were women and girls, young girls, children even. You know, so, um, yeah, it's, I mean, um, you're right, on some level, it's a, it's a strange and bizarre mystery. But on another level, I'll give you an example. Um, religious fundamentalism on the rise in, uh, of all, you know, in, in, in Asia and South America and Africa, almost always preceded by incursions from uh, fundamentalist uh, Christian missionaries, usually from our country. Mm-hmm. And, for example, um, after the Congo War and the murder of Kabila in 2001, a major, he, he had, had been a major leader, um, but there was a huge witch craze that seized Kinshasa, a fanatic witch-purging movement, which was nurtured by evangelical churches because it was perceived as something that would bind the people together in the name of Christ. Never mind that it would have been the last thing in the world that a, a, an historical Christ would ever have wanted, but this is what the people, they said, they told the people. It became so powerful, this evangelical, nurtured, witch-purging movement, um, that child witches were soon confessing to having had orgies with demons. And in, in um, South Africa's northern province, this is recent, there were almost mm-hmm. 400 killings of suspected witches between 85, 1985 and 95. Uh, accompanied by a rapid growth in the power of charismatic Christian churches. Now, I am not blaming Christians for this, um, I'm, because we, we have seen human atrocity against other humans in, in, in every organized religion and every organized um, uh, politics. Mm-hmm. But there does have, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the fact that there are quite a few progressive 
um, courageous uh, Christian spokespeople, um, women and men today, who are now speaking out and saying, "Wait a minute! This is not what. This is not our church. This is not what we meant." You know. Uh, but it's 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 the same motivation, um, and it's it's not taking responsibility for unleashing uh, the fear in a way that will get people, many people, uh, killed. And if the witches had were perceived as they were as as this simplest simplistic sort of folk, heathen, pa- pagans, peasants. Um, who into herbs, into celebrating the seasons, into dancing around under the moon, into mm-hmm. lots of good food and um, and and healing recipes. The recipes, by the way, they were very sophisticated healers. They um, uh, they they were fee- feeding um, uh, pounded willow bark to people who had pain um, in the 11th century. And of course, a derivative of willow is aspirin. Yeah, and so much of this uh, wonderful herbal medicine was, to some extent, lost for centuries. That's correct. I mean, um, and we're getting it back now. But the 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 recipes, both for um, spell making, which sometimes contained hallucinogens, um, and for uh, healing, are so sophisticated that uh, I I was very careful in not giving actual quantities, and in in some cases where. They could have been hallucinogenic. Uh, I even omitted um, uh, key ingredients because I didn't want readers, you know, yeah, going off sort of half, you know, half informed. Um, uh, and and I and I even said that in the book. But but um, yeah, when you begin to do the research, you realize that this was these were amazing people who managed somehow. They they developed ways to survive interrogation and torture. Um, they they um, they kept trying to heal each other. They hid each other. They hid um, Jews who were fleeing from the Inquisition. Um, they hid Moors, um, the black people of the day who had uh, been caught by the Inquisition and, of course, were considered uh, heretics. Um, it was kind of a hanging together of the have-nots, if you know what I mean. Right, and I think uh, just... The character of of the Irish people to this day, I think you can see some of that there. It's sort of a mm, uh, this ability to survive, and you know, of course, the later the, the potato famine and all of that. That's right. So, is there something about uh, the character of Irish people uh, that you would you, well, you've my picked Irish up? Characters say there is. I'm not <laughs> sure I, as an author, agree. <laughs> <laughs> agree with them, but they sure made for a fun novel. Um, uh, I think it's I think it's the human spirit. Uh, I think some cultures. Um, uh, I think it is true that some cultures, and and Ireland probably is one of them, um, uh, have have how shall I say reinforced the feistiness of the human spirit, and others have tended to repress it. Um, but uh, but I think it's not coincidental also that we are, since the middle of, of the 20th century, we're seeing a revival of nature-based, um, sometimes neo-pagan interest and practice, particularly in, in the U.S. and North America in general and in Europe. And, and sometimes the revival is part of an atheistic or an agnostic system or metaphysical, and sometimes it is a reflection of... Um, uh, new respect for indigenous people's belief systems, such as Native Americans, but that can be problematic because it can also seem, you know, be unwittingly invasive. But sometimes it's Aquarian age spirituality, and certainly sometimes it's it's, um, you know, it's tied very much to the to the feminist resurgence. Um, but as late as as you know, see the, the the syncretic aspect interests me because it's not a 
it's not an either-or. It can be a both-and. Um, one of the things that Alice Keitler points out is that the Bishop of Coventry in England um, had a year or so before um, this, the baddie bishop, de la Dred, comes to, to Ireland. The Bishop of Coventry in England had openly said that he was, you know, uh, a, a follower of the old religion. And he was the Bishop of Coventry. <laughs> um, and even recently, there was this wonderful story in 2003, uh, 2003, the, the newly enthroned Archbishop of Canterbury in, in England, he's got such a wonderful medieval name, is the most reverend Rowan Williams. He was forced to reject charges of paganism because he'd been made an honorary druid for his contributions to the Welsh language and culture. And, and, and here's where your rebellion comes in, and because of his public statements against war, poverty, bigotry, and commercial greed. So... The feistiness, I think, is part of the human spirit. I think the Irish do it as well or better than most people, um, and still today. But but I'm hoping that the, that the novel, well, I mean, I'm hoping that the novel, most of all, will give people pleasure and make them laugh and cry and, and, and have fun and, and read uh, and, and enjoy it, the story. But um, if it inspires them, if it catches their heart in some way to stand up to some indignity in their lives, uh, the political person in me celebrates that. I do have to say, yeah, I, yeah, and it does do all of those things that you said in in uh, quite uh, wonderful manner. And uh, Jane Fonda on the book jacket uh, says, uh, "I think it's on the book jacket." Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm waiting for the movie to come out. Uh, so, uh, has anybody uh, talked about yes, that? Yes, indeed, there has been interest, and uh, and we are we're not ready to say yet, but there indeed has been num- numerous. <laughs> interest and uh and i i think the time might come when we actually might see it up there on the big screen well yeah i uh, i can't wait for that it gets the burning time robin morgan is the author and uh it's uh yes check this book out it's it if uh great insights into human nature and uh what's uh going on with organized religion and how that uh, can be problematic and the uh, well, you know, it's interesting because, like you were saying earlier, um, you have to give the bishop his due. Um, and uh, and when he when he defends the church, it's as good as I can make it. It's as, go- as strong as I could. You know, I mean, I didn't I, I didn't want him to be a one dimensional. Sometimes, listen, life, real life provides you with one dimensional characters, and they can get away with it. Look at Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but in art, you want to make the characters really complex and interactive. And um, uh, well, yes, I was having to really think that. Through through when the bishop was giving his arguments for what he's doing exactly, and his exactly. defense of the church and uh it, it's and like he has his own motivations and they're not unrealistic and they're not you know i mean you one of the reviews that pleased me said uh, you sympathize with both of them and then of course the young character petronella demeath yes. um who is a, the third major character i won't say too much about her because i don't want to give away that plot uh-huh. but she is a um uh, an extremely interesting character and and developing her and her 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 terror she is a serf um who's led not so easy a life believe me um and developing her was uh was especially um tricky because i wanted her to be whole and full and not only a victim 
but with the life that she led, you had to be honest about that, too. Uh, there's a lot of, again, for, reason, for listeners who hadn't tuned in earlier, there's a lot of additional matter about the book and background and, and glossary and bibliography if they want to read more about the history and so forth, and, and a bigger historical note on my website, which is www.robinmorgan.us. It's R-O-B-I-N-M-O-R-G-A-N dot U-S. Yes. So, and, uh, yeah, the, the arc of development with that character, Petronella, yeah, just uh, quite, uh, quite remarkable. And the friendship between the two women. You don't often see friendships in, in, um, uh, between women in fiction. You, 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 you have since, you know, we've seen it more and more in the last 30 years since the women's movement. Um, but you usually, tr- traditionally, you saw, you know, cat fights. You saw women only competitive. The great, the great buddy movies, the great buddy friendships were always men. Um, so it was a, you know, I remember a huge thrill when Thelma and Louise came out. You know, it was a buddy movie between women, um, and 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 in fact, women's friendships run very deep, and and um, uh, and and there's a whole huge hidden history of them. So in this case, it's a mentoring relationship. It's like a mother-daughter relationship, but but it's it's one of the many forms that uh, that women's friendship takes, and you know, um, and that pleased me. Many novelists, I hear this a lot, talk about their characters uh, in a certain sense developing themselves or, or taking on this life that they didn't foresee. Did, did that happen with you at all? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. Robert, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, you know, you write a scene and then you have dinner and you see friends or whatever and you watch some television or read a book and you go to bed and 3 o'clock in the morning you wake up and it is so clear to you <laughs> that some, <laughs> some character is basically saying, I wouldn't do that. I'm not, I can't, you know, so you keep a pad by your bed and you scribble, da 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 um, But, no, you, you can't, you know, force them. Once they begin to live in the mind, um, uh, you, 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 they're not puppets for you to arbitrarily yank around. They are, you have to respect your characters the way you would hopefully respect real people and real friends. Um, and, uh, and, and listen to them. I mean, I don't mean that in a, in a flaky way, I don't mean that you channel your characters or that they make visitations or so. I'm, I mean it in terms of the discipline of the writer. You have to be open uh, to that, and it and it comes, I don't know, out of the subconscious or the semi-conscious or something. I steeped myself in research of the period. I steeped myself in um, whatever I could learn, which, as I say, was not much uh, about Keitler and her circle. Um, so, uh, you know, and then I put all those books aside and let them begin to to dare to live in the imagination, um, and because that is ultimately where they where they do take their stand. But they make it very clear, and and if you try to force uh, a character, if you say modern language out of a out of a character's mouth um, that they wouldn't say, you immediately hear it. You, you begin to develop an ear for that, or something that they would not do that's just not in them. For me, uh, a challenge as a writer was not only making the bishop sympathetic as a villain, um, an interesting, an interesting villain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it was also making Alice, as I've mentioned, not not little Miss Perfect. So I had to give her negative streaks to make her human, and I had to be sure he had positive ones. And and those can't be inflicted; those have to be sort of listened for. What would be organic as it develops? And uh, the father, uh, Brendan. 
Yes, the young the young priest who's a real nice. He's a he's a he's a Celtic priest. Uh, he's not an import from abroad uh, like the bishop, and he's a real sweetie. He he, he used to be Sean Fergus, um, and he used to be a Wiccan. And when she taught him to read and write, off he went um, uh, to you know follow the the great you know the Irish have an amazing history of art and scholarship. The 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 Book of Kells and the great scholarship that they were doing even during the so called Dark Ages on. Um, on the continent of Europe, the Irish kept learning alive. So he takes himself off there, but the but the sort of the way to get in there is to become a priest. So hey, what the hell, you know? I mean, he's a good syncretic Irishman, and so he's both. He thinks you can do both, and as long as you have a sense of reverence for the universe, and you know, what's the problem? Yeah, yeah, well, when the bishop comes, there's a problem, you know. So yes, you want to have you want to have um, a mix of characters who reflect the the vast, wonderfully rich and diverse palette of humanity. You can't get all of humanity into any one, you know, book, but you want as much of it as you can into uh, what you can get. And in in this case, a a small novel, um, whatever it is, 350 pages or something, um, I, I wanted to cram that richness in, whether it was in menus and food and feasts and 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 velvet fabrics and and horses and mist coming over there and mm-hmm. strange apparitions, or whether it was in the characters' real souls. Yeah, they they were the the, the Father Brendan character. It was just is like he was trying to the the one focal point in the book of the person who was trying to like. They can both be okay together, and and yeah. uh, and then he he becomes it, it's it, he's so torn, and you just feel his pain. Yeah, and the poor guy is sort of caught between. He wanted to combine both worlds, and instead he is caught between them. And of course, the bishop suspects him of being wayward, um, and the Wiccans, uh, some of the Wiccans anyway, and particularly as the persecution increases, regard him as a turncoat, which in effect to them he was. So he. He, he, although he plays a, ultimately a, a crucial role, he, he, he doesn't have a hard time of it either. You know, I mean, he doesn't have an easy time of it either, rather. Yeah. Um, um, and, of course, he's always grateful because Alice taught him to read and write. I mean, you, I think it's so hard for us today um, uh, to understand the power that that seemed to have. I mean, that you could put something down on a page or a parchment um, or or even a piece of wood, and if somebody else knew those mystical signs, they could read what you wrote. It seemed like magic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a. I've heard somebody say it's a crude form of telepathy. It's yes. like the thoughts in your mind can be the thoughts in someone else's mind by taking these symbols and being able to to exactly. comprehend them. Exactly, and to me, as a reader and a writer, it still has that magic. I mean, it is a it's a very concrete scientific magic. Um, but but it, it at the time it was considered real magic, and so you were a sorcerer, you were a witch, you were um, a heretic, uh, and and then look at the politics that lie underneath that, because if only if nobody can read, and nobody can do numbers, and and they can't communicate with each other across from one village to the next. I mean, you know, next door you can communicate in speech, but you're not at all lettered. You can't, there is no bigger world for you. So everybody gets isolated, compartmentalized. Only the folks at the top are educated, and they communicate with each other all the time to consolidate power, popes to kings, kings to popes. Um, and, and so it, there's a, an economic thread, there's a political thread, 
and it, it basically is about a clash of powers, power, the power of reading, the power of knowledge, the power of, of herbal science um, against that power of superstition and fear and bigotry. Um, and those battles are still going on even as we speak. You know it and I know it. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about that. What, what are the lessons from your book, The Burning Time, that can be applied to today? I know mean, it's kind of a broad question, but what are some maybe some things you see going on today that we need to take these lessons from history and apply them? Well, I mean, I, one of the things is that, that our, the framers of our Constitution um, were, uh, were remarkable, um, and, and they set up a con. They, made, they, they weren't perfect. They, some of them had slaves, and women were not on their radar, but then, of course, they didn't have radar. Um, but <laughs> but they, on this subject, they were a separation of church and state. They were real radicals, and they were, let's not forget, revolutionaries. Um, and uh, so that they, 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 that there had never been a government on the planet where there was separation of church and state. This was the first, um, and it was considered appalling, shocking. Even the original thirteen colonies, each of them had their own state official religion. Um, and Jefferson was the major power behind this separation, and and Tom Paine. Um, uh, so, you know, I mean, Madison, Madison didn't even think there should be um, uh, chaplains in Congress or in the, uh, in the Army. Uh, these, these were amazing people, and when they set this up in that way, they were not just whistling Dixie. And so consequently, today, I think we need to be really very vigilant about the drives to, uh, to well, the phrase that the the extreme religious right uses um, is to dominionize um, America, to make it quote a Christian nation. But it, again, it's not only Christians. It would be fundamentalists who would be Orthodox Jews. It would be fundamentalist God knows Islamists. I mean, there's a way that that religious fanaticism and fundamentalism all plays by the same playbook. And it's a playbook that's not good for women, men, children, trees, and other living things. Um, because if you want the apocalypse to come, then um, you know, then war is good. Um, yeah. Then the, the the plague of HIV/AIDS is good. These things are all signs that the apocalypse is coming, and the end of days is upon us, and we should all celebrate. Well, some of us are not ready to end our days, and we would like to stop human suffering, or at least alleviate it, and end wars, or at least stop this one, um, and feed the poor, and be a little more efficient in our government, and not just always call on, on some abstract power that is usually manipulated in people's minds to make them more content with suffering today. Because if, you have, if your reward is in the afterlife, then you're not going to rise up and demand your rights today. So I think we can all be much more um, uh, alert about that um, and, um, uh, and, and, and protect not only the precious secularity, the secularism of our government, which is about which many, many, many inroads are being made to to great alarm. I mean, um, all people have to do is go to you know Americans United for Separation of Church and State, their website, um, and and it, you know your hair will be curly or straight if it's <laughs> curly to begin with. Um, so to be aware of protecting the secularism uh, of our of our system, our democratic system, which makes it, which also at the same time protects religion. 
from religious incursions into it. I mean, don't forget that the, the founders were fighting King George, who was not only the head of state, but the head of the church. Yes. They had a very real reason for keeping these things separate. Um, and uh, and in, in the burning time, you see the collusion continually going on between the Pope and various kings and the King of England and the ceding of land to the papacy because you know, they needed more troops to, you know, fight some other war. So as long as you get that collusion, you know, danger, danger, red alert. Um, and I think we can all be much more aware of and And in order to protect both genuine... Um, people of genuine, serious faith, and to protect our secular government, follow, ironically enough, follow tradition, um, and do what the framers really set us up to do. Um, I, I'm coming out with another book this fall, um, in time for the elections, uh, called Fighting Words, a Toolkit for Combating the Religious Right. Um, and people can check on my website for more information on that. That's robinmorgan.us. Um, but so, but but the but I'm hoping that the Burning Time, because it's fiction and art and and a hell of a good tale, will go places that so-called per se political books don't go. You know, because there are some people who just sort of never read political books or think think that they don't care about politics without understanding how politics affects their ordinary life. We see it at the gas tank. We see it at, um, uh, you know, the rising prices. We see it with the, with the kids coming home from Iraq embittered. Um, and, and we see it with the, with the lack of courage in our legislators who didn't stand up and say, whoa, wait just a minute. So it's up to the people. And, and, and our framers trusted the people. And I'm, I'm going to follow our framers and, 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 and trust them, too, because I think if they get the information, Robert, and you're doing your part. Um, media doesn't always do its part, right. but but you're trying. Um, <laughs> and if we all just try to to help educate each other on what's going on, then the people will take it from there. And it's my hope, as I say, that the burning time, because it's a good story, um, will come in under the radar uh, and 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 appeal to people just as a good read. And then if it makes them think afterwards. Um, or inspires them to act. That's that's gravy. But my main my main approach has been to uh, to entertain them and to move them, um, to make them laugh, to make them cry, maybe to think a little bit, um, and 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 t- and turn the pages and want to know what happens next. Well, I think you you've been most successful at that. Or yeah, I it worked on me. <laughs> it, oh, thank you. It, Bless your heart. It got me so it. <laughs> caught up in the story it was so entertaining and moving and and those uh notions about separation of church and state that i already held became more firmly uh entrenched in in my uh right. understanding of of the way uh, things are and so uh i mean you could say that the inquisitions all three of them were a perfect example of the non-separation of church and state Oh yes, of course, and and I think those things were fresh in the minds of the uh, founding fathers and absolutely the, separa- the age of enlightenment. I mean, they you know suddenly they, they suddenly there was this new breath, you know, sweeping across Europe and 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 the new world of saying wait 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 we don't have to do that. And when they said a body by and for and of the people and and consent of the governed, that was the most revolutionary statement that had been made to date to that time on the planet. 
consent of the governed, that had that was unheard of. So they were, you know, they this Fourth of July, everybody should, I think, give a give a little thought to the framers, um, uh, and 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 try to use them and quote them and follow them in combating what is this newfangled thing. Well, it's not the the, the religious fanaticism as we see from the burning time isn't newfound, but but in this country at this time. Uh, we've never seen such a political drive to inflict that on government as we do now. Yes, this time has gone by so fast, Robin, because it's been so fascinating. But we're we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Robert. It was an absolute pleasure, and I'm so glad that you loved the burning time. <laughs> and the web address again for the information? www.robinmorgan.us. Okay, and can we get you on to talk about your coming book when that's you out? You can indeed, absolutely. I will look forward to that. You have a good day, Robin. You too. Thanks again so much, and thanks to your listeners. Okay, bye, bye. now. That was Robin Morgan. Her book is The Burning Time, and as I said, it's just a great read, uh, so entertaining, but deals with some important issues, so important, and they have so much relevance for where we're at today, our situation with the government and the whole notion of separation in church and state. So again, that's The Burning Time by Robin Morgan. This is Out the Rabbit Hole. I'm Robert Larson. It's KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org.